Hello and welcome to the It's Not Personal podcast, a podcast about making work more engaging, more fulfilling, and ultimately more human by taking the ego out of leadership. I am here with Ken Grady, a Fortune 500 CIO and business leader, as well as gentleman farmer and snappy dresser. And I'm here with Seth Rigoletti, my always friend and often collaborator and co-conspirator. Seth is an executive and communications coach who's worked with a number of different organizations and whose superpower is helping people understand the difference between what's being said and what's being heard. Hey, Seth, how you doing? Oh, Ken, it has been a, a, a total day. It <laughs> has been, been a day. It's been a day. I love that. Tell me more. Uh, you know, I think I'm just, I think it's just that time where, you know, some days you wake up and you think, this is how my day is going to go. Yeah. Like, I'm, I got this. Yeah. And then, I, you know, it's not even like anything really weird. It bad happened. It just like, it just feels like the whole day kept slipping away. Like I just yeah. felt like I was, um, like pushing up in quicksand or something. Like, like yeah, I I I think um, one of the best points of advice I ever got, or one of the best. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was, it was a good question. I had a, a former CEO, and I asked him. I said, "What's the hardest part of your job?" Mm. And he said, "As a leader," and he said, "Managing my time." Yeah. And right. there's so many for for so many of us. There's so many demands on our time that we, it's very easy to let it be consumed by, you know, by, by the urgent rather than the important. And I thought that was, yeah. I, I love that statement, like the I urgent think, versus important was, it's so easy, so easy. I think it's interesting to think about it too in the, you know, you work for a big company and so there's a lot of demands just inherent, like your inbox is probably filling up right now. Sorry to make you nervous, you know, anxious <laughs> about it. But like, you know, in like, and I and I run my own business, so like the demands on my time, you know, they're very self-generated, and you know, thinking about how, um, you know, am I responding? So when I worked for a school, it was like, as soon as school started, my whole day was like blown up fifteen hundred times a day. Mm. Well, not that many, but like fifteen times a day, I'd be like. You know, whatever I thought I was doing, eating lunch, going to the bathroom, like it would get blown up by somebody, you know, needed something. And when you work for yourself, you're like, you really have to set the tempo. You really have to set the culture around how am I going to, how am I going to be productive? How am I going to get the most out of this time? And I wonder how, you know, when you think about your day and you think about since the pandemic, how has like, how have, how has the culture of your day changed much? since then yeah and I, th I think about this a lot actually and i know we all have our different ways of managing this um i think about both on an individual level as a leader what do i do what practices can i create maintain get rid of hmm. to make sure that i'm the most productive and impactful and then what what practices can we promote reward and sense um etc for the organization from a cultural perspective. And it's it's really interesting, especially maybe, I guess, especially since the pandemic where we are all uh, very digitally connected and it's very easy. And I love your example of like, you know, the, the things in your inbox. And I have like, I'll, I'll just share, this is a personal, this is just a personal idiosyncrasy. I, oh my God, I had a colleague once show me her phone and she had like that little blue bubble in your mail that like how many unread messages do you have? Right. And it was like, it was in the thousands. Yeah. It was in the thousands. Right. right. I, I said, I don't, I don't know how you close your eyes at night. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Right. <laughs> like like if, if I have unread messages in my inbox at the end of the day, I, I can't turn off my, my, my email. I can't, I can't. Which really, to your point, could be a massive distractor for me. Right. But I have a, I have a philosopher. I, you know, I have a philosopher on email that's. I want to handle it once. I want to, if I open it, I want to dispatch it somehow. Yeah. And I, I kind of carve out time to do email, and I, I separate that time from how I do other things. But anyway, so the culture since since the, um, we can talk a lot about my my neuroses around email, um, but the culture since since the pandemic for the organization is for at least my organization, we've really, and I think this has been 
true for many organizations, but I'd say it's uncomfortable for many organizations. Yeah, yeah. When you're not all in the same office, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, the shift to remote work or distributed work, when you're not able to look and see what people are doing, and I'm going to tell you a story about this that actually is very true and very recent. When you're not able to see what people are doing, does it make you nervous as a leader about whether or not they're doing the things that are important. Right, right. No, I, okay. Yes. So let's pause there because that's, I want to get to that. Let's go back up. Um, today's topic is about culture change. Culture and change. Change, so, change culture. Right. I don't know. You can put those words culture, in any order. Cu- culture and change go on a date is the way I was thinking about it. So right. like, it's like, how do we bring these two things together? And, and, uh, just so we're we're sort of level setting, right, for the audience, the way that I think of culture, the way I look at culture is culture is just really a set of behaviors. Yeah. It's really just a set of behaviors. The same thing with character, really. Like when we talk about someone's character, we're really basing it off of a set of behaviors. What do, Who do I think this person is? I'm judging it entirely based upon how that person behaves when I'm around that yeah. person. So culture is the same way. And when you talked about email, right, cultures around, a cultural behavior around email, there's the, there's the, how one person actually behaves around email, and then there's sort of the expectation, the cultural Mm. expectation and the organization around email. And those, you know, we could spend days talking about that. But the, this particular thing here, where you talk about what is, what is going on with a, with a workforce that's not all working in one space? Right, where the manager, uh, the boss, is really like it's all kind of invisible. Like, what's going on? Are they working? Are they doing anything? How are they? How are they doing? And that culture, that set of behaviors, starts from a place of what do we actually value? Right? What do we actually value? Yeah, and the story, the story that made this this. I don't know, uh, kind of present in my mind was I was actually recently talking to some other IT leaders outside uh, different organizations. We get together every once in a while and we talk about things. And, yeah. and somebody was like telling, a Star Trek convention. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But somebody was telling a story of her boss or one of the managers in her organization was asking for a report to see uh, how many emails, I guess it was, per hour that their team was sending as a sort of proxy to whether or not they were working. Right. Because they couldn't see them and they wanted to know that there was some kind of, and they were asking for different kind of ways to how do I, how do I proxy like just validate that people are actually working. And, and I couldn't help but laugh because I thought about what kind of cultural and what kind of message that was sending. Right. And that was a leader who was really struggling through this transition to a distributed organization and trying to find a way to, be able to say, yeah, 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 my team's working. I can see how many emails they're sending out. I'm like, well, okay, number one, is email the best measure of productivity? Totally. You know, and, totally. and two, like, don't you trust your, I mean, are you hiring people you don't trust? Right. You know, and this, this shift in this, this has been what I've thought a lot about through this change is, and it's a nuance, but there's a there's a framework called OKRs. You know, there's a framework around goals, and there's a framework of objectives and key results or smart goals or different things. And I said, you know, the objective is the point, and the results are the measures. Yeah, right. And the 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 inputs sort of they're they're material in terms of I want to make sure that we're thinking about the right inputs to get there in the most effective way. But really, if we're all aligned on the objectives and we know how we're going to measure success, everything else takes care of itself, Mm. I think, I think, as long as we know that we're clear around that. That requires, oh, so much in terms of cultural assumptions. Cultural assumptions, communication about those assumptions, expectations, and then a a clarity about what's an outcome that we actually want. So right. let's let's just let's start somewhere in there. So let's talk about um, when you were talking about the angst that this person had about trying to how do I know whether they're actually working? Well, well, right away, what is an insecurity? What is a, a feeling that that person probably has? 
Well, I'll, I'll tell another story and sort of related. Um, so I think one of my very first in-person events after the pandemic, mm. I was in a group of CIOs and, and technologists and whatever. And I was on stage and we were talking about, call it the future of work. I don't remember what the exact panel was called, but we were talking about this distributed organization and kind of how we were going through this transformation. And, and one of the people in the audience who, like me, has a little bit of gray in their hair, right? You know, clearly has been doing this for a while. Yep. But they asked the question, they said, um, well, what do you do about like, you know, like the Gen Zers? Oh, yeah, right. And I, right. I said, well, okay, I need a little more. What, what do you mean? They said, well, like, you know, how do you, how because they'll just get up and quit if they're not, you know, overseen and kind of engaged and if they're not happy and if you're you're too hard on them. And I said, well, okay. I said, that's an interesting question. Let me think about that for a moment. I said, so what, what we're talking about, and I'll just stereotype for saving, but I, I said, you're talking about a group that wants to be, uh, know that they're seen, mm-hmm. understand the mission and the mm-hmm. purpose, have an input into that, that objective, mm. feel that they have an opportunity to grow and develop mm-hmm. and to get feedback along the way that they're doing and that their work is valued. Right. I said, you know who else wants that? Me. <laughs> For God's sake, I want that. I'm like, I don't think that's necessarily a generational issue. I think that's a cultural issue. Yeah. And if you are working in a culture, I, it really was interesting, and it was kind of an eye-opener for me because I hadn't I hadn't thought about it in those terms before. But it was this moment where I was like, if you're working in a culture where those things that I just listed out aren't common and consistent, right. maybe it's time to think about the culture you're working in. Right, right. So I had somebody describe to me a culture – uh, just the other day, they said they 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 worked in a culture that was very um, consistently got good good marks. It was like a best mm. places to work kind of culture. It's not not around here, but just the best places to work. But what what became clear was that one of the reasons th- this is the opposite side of your argument. One of the reasons why it was the best place to work was because e- everything was just sort of like you didn't have to work very hard. Everything was sort of easy. <laughs> Like the expectations were not very intense. Like there was just sort of this like good, no- you know, it's not just good enough, but like mediocrity was sort of like an expectation of like, yeah, yeah. like you don't have to move. There's not a lot, there's a lot of stability. There's a lot of like, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like um, foundational clarity. Like you will never be stretched. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be stretched. Like that's a foundational belief, you know, when people sign up on this, in this job. And like, the problem with that is that, of course, when things change in the market, when things kind of get upset, when suddenly you have to, right, you all of a sudden have to, the culture isn't prepared to respond to that, and then it stops being one of the best places to work, best, quote, unquote, best places to work. So, like, we create these, like, paradigms, these um, these either-ors, mm. right? Gen Z is, like, the problem. They're, like, trying to upset the apple cart. They're, like, trying to – they want everything. They want to be CEO right away. And you're just like, well, I think what they want is to be seen and heard and, and respected. Why aren't you creating a culture that does that? The same thing goes – you could have a culture that everybody – that, like, you know, people think is totally fine, like they're happy with. But it's not a culture of excellence. It's not a culture that actually like lifts people up or stretches them. And I think in the end of the day, like, and this gets to the point about the what we're here to talk about today is like, what happens when you have a culture and something enters into that culture and changes it? So whether it's younger generation coming in and saying we want this to be different, or it's an outside market force coming in and say you have to be different, or if it's like what happened with George Floyd and the the upswell of like, Mm. you know, basically we have to do more diversity and inclusion. We have to think about racism or the pandemic that comes in and says, hey, you have to work distributed now. Like what happens when change comes and how do we make that culture be able to shift and adapt in a way that is meaningful? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, two things. So one is the underlying premise of our, our, our whole season which right. is being, you know, kind of 
what's the the value and the positive of being subversive as mm-hmm. a leader? And I mean that again, just a reminder, listeners. You know, thinking about kind of demonstrating the change, mm. and knowing that stat, knowing that like if you're if you're static, if if you're if you're in that culture where you know you're not expected to change, you're probably not in a healthy long-term place. Right. You're in a vulnerable right. and risky place. Which which is ironic. Sorry to interrupt, but it's ironic, right? Because it feels safe. It feels safe. Right. But we know that you're likely to be disrupted from any one of the totally. factors, you know, not just the business factor, but all the other examples that you mentioned could destabilize. Right. So if, you're, if you start in a position where you know you're going to need to change, to thrive, you're going to need to grow, you're going to need to stretch, you're going to need to adapt, you're going to need to, you know, uh, take on board these new ideas and new concepts, then you know that your culture has to encompass resilience. Okay, talk about that. Like, so, so from a leader's, from a leader's point of view, how do you intentionally cultivate resilience? And, and how do you cultivate resilience subversively? So like, there's like the things you can do actually, you know, in charge of your organization, your part of the organization, right? I can make these choices, make help people be more resilient. But then how do I make the organization as a whole more resilient? Yeah, well, let's talk about, you know, when the concept of resilience, you know, from an organization. I mean, there's obviously there's technical things that you can do supply chain, you know, uh, failovers and things where you have secondary suppliers or there's technology things you can do to create resilience. But I think we we don't talk enough about organizational resilience. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that we, right. we think about, you know, supply chain disruptions, you know, uh, alternative, um, uh, you know, region failovers and kind of backups and restore, like all that kind of stuff. We talk about all that stuff, but we don't talk as leaders about organizational resilience. What does it mean? Well, when you have a failure, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, but again, yeah, a yeah, failure yeah. in a decision or in somebody having a moment where they needed to take a new role or steps outside of the organization or something, can your organization respond? If you've got one of these other kind of inputs where you're seeing generational or, or, or cultural or other kind of pressures, how does your organization respond? Does it respond with curiosity? Well, it won't respond with curiosity if curiosity mm. is punished. Mm. Okay. So let's pause there. Yeah. So let's think about this. Like you have a culture built around um, a certain set of behaviors and expectations. This is how we do things. That's you, Every organization you go to, this is like that's, that's the whole point of having processes and a cultural norm is like this is how we do things. Um, uh, you know, in the military, in the Marines, you know, Simon Sinek talked about this a lot about leaders eat last, right? Mm-hmm. Like this idea of like they have a culture built around the idea that the generals, the the higher up you go, the the last, the the, the further back in the line you go when it's time to go to the mess yeah. tent and eat, right? And that is a culture that it works for what the Marines needs to be. That is not the culture in uh, the army. That is not the culture apparently in the Navy, right? Necessary. Well, actually, no, that's the culture in the Navy, not the culture in the Air Force, right? That is like a very different world in those places. And like, how do you, like, why, right? I, I, okay, so I'm going to challenge you because I was in the Army. <laughs> I said right. I was an NCO in the Army. And while it is different, of course, um, they, there is very much uh, the focus on leadership in the military across the board, across all four services. Okay, I'll make fun of the Air Force too, but across all four services is really a recognition of the mission and the team, uh, no matter where you are. Now, the Marines definitely has a certain, and the Navy has a different, uh, a certain culture. The Army has a certain culture. The others, but in a, in a in a business organization, I think that it is really easy, and we see this with, oh, I don't know, certain billionaires who want to run tech companies. Right. We see this with certain like top-down cascading demands where you can actually see them introducing brittleness yes. into the organization. Yeah, okay. So that's what so that's all right. Oh, so, I think was where you're going. so that so that concept yeah. of here's a culture that is whatever it is. It's like whether it's a culture that's very open or a culture that's very rigid and then some change happens. Yeah. Right? Some change happens in 
what I'm interested in in terms of like thinking about this concept of culture and change and how do we be subversive leader is like what is it that we do when the when the behaviors that either worked to a certain point maybe maybe it it was you know it's IBM circa 1991 and like right. it was working for a while right, right. it's working it was successful and then change happens right the the personal pc and the and the home computer and then all of a sudden like things are are shifting what is the marriage what is the dating be- between that change in the culture behavior so that it's actually it, it can be resilient. It can actually change and grow. And why doesn't it change? Like, why do, why does it break and fall apart? Yeah, because I think the opposite of resilience is brittleness, right? Where right. You, you have this, right. this almost fragility, fragility right. that change if you if you don't carry on the way you've always done it. And I think we touched on this in the last episode or the one before that. This idea that as a leader, you have all the answers. You know, you know the way that it should be done because this is what got us there. You mentioned the IBM example. Right. There's plenty of of white papers and case studies that we could point to. Blockbuster, yeah. you know, others, uh, right. the 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 BlackBerry, you right. know, phone, right. et Rim, yeah. where they had a successful model, but then something inter- something else came along, and they couldn't see past Kodak. They couldn't see past yeah. their successes that they built to date. And they couldn't, even when people inside the organization, and this is where I think the generational component is an interesting one to explore because, you know, you're often going to get at me. I'm the silverback. I'm the old gray hair. I'm the, I'm the yeah. one that, like, I did it a certain way, and it got me here, so it must be good enough. And as soon as right. you utter those words in an organization, no, that's good enough. Right. I think that you're, you're in danger territory. Or, or it's good enough, or... My favorite is we tried that once. We tried that once. I love that. <laughs> we tried that once. Okay, so you're the leader, right? You actually are in this moment, right? This moment of time where where there's disruption coming with the pandemic. Everybody yeah. went distributed. We've talked about this before. Everyone had to do remote, right? And now there's this pressure, right? How do we pull people back into the office? How do we bring people back in? Mm. And you're 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 being provocative, right? You're you're asking the question why. Why? Why would we do that? Why, why? Why do we need that? And before we get into a debate about why we might need that, talk to me a little bit about what's the what's the resiliency you're looking for when you say that. What is the thing that? Because there's there was change. There's this yearning for what was, right? Yeah, Some, there's a wistfulness, like a nostalgia in a way. I think it is. And and don't get me wrong, I get it. And I I, I will say again what I've said before in our discussions, I, I'm never going to say that there's not value in face-to-face interaction. Right. Or, you and I are right. sitting here. Right, I was going to say, we're sitting here face-to-face. Um, there's absolutely value. Creating relationships, you know, it shortcuts certain conversations. It just, it builds uh, memories and, and kind of, thing. but, you know, okay, so there's there's a time and a place for that. Is it, does it need to be the everyday? Does it need to be the norm? That's kind of where I want to challenge. And, and what you're, but first to answer your question about as a leader, you know, what do I look for or how do I try and create resilience within the organization? I think the best way that I know, and others are going to have other ideas, but, you know, one of the best ways is, is this questioning mode, this constantly questioning ourselves and allowing ourselves, yeah, 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 yeah. allowing ourselves yeah. to be questioned. So, so, so when we go, we go back to this sorry, we go back to this concept of behavior, right? So culture is behavior. I think that on some level, that manager you were describing who says, "How are how do I know they're working?" Right? Well, in the office, that manager could walk down the hall right. and see a bunch of people at the computer and feel like it's a it's like a shortcut. It's like yeah. I feel like everybody's working. Or I see people in in meeting rooms having meetings. I see them having meetings. I see, you know, Bob, you know, on the phone. Like I see these things happening, and I feel somehow that work is being done. I don't yeah. actually know. And right? what's what's so interesting about that, and this is my provocative self, is 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 my first re- response is, so what? What outcomes did they generate? So yes, so like let's just put that on pause because that is the that is ultimately where we want to go, right? But this question of like, like I, 
I want to go, this wistfulness, this nostalgia yeah. is not actually nostalgia because I loved, maybe for some people they love The Office, but like it's really a nostalgia for the illusion that I knew what was going on. And that the resiliency piece, the fragility that happens when that change happens, when the, like you're suddenly disrupted and you have all this, oh, everyone's working remotely, I don't actually know. I, I don't actually know right how Right there. I think that's it. And I think that's the 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 I don't know the the angst I'm feeling when I talk to other leaders is the uncertainty of I don't know anymore I used to have a way that I felt like I knew right but this gets to your point about questions yeah because did they ever really know I no right <laughs> did they ever really know they had a belief a delusional belief that they knew what they were seeing and, and it was based on, I think it has always been based on, you know, some kind of evidence and facts. Well, I got good outcomes, so obviously the inputs must have been the, the thing that got me those outcomes. Right. It's like, well, m- maybe. I, I, I talked to a, I talked to a, sure. young, a young guy once who, who worked in finance, and he was working for this business. And, and he uh, got up to go to the bathroom. And his boss, like, think about this. The CFO goes, what are you doing? <laughs> go, go back to your desk. And he was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. He's like, no, no, no. It's like, be at the desk. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, he's like, he's like, I finished all the work. Like, I'm just taking a break. I'm going to go to the bathroom. He's like, no, no, no. It's like time at the desk. It's like, um, it's like driver's ed, right? Yeah. Like, like it doesn't matter if you're actually learning anything. It's all about time in the seat. Yeah. You know, it's like, you just have to, if you, if you show up late to class, you've got to make up that five minutes someplace yeah, else. I, like that's ridiculous. I, and, and I think this is the, this is the part. And again, I see it in, in my conversations with others. You know, I was, I was recently in, in, in a great conversation. I was in New York. I was meeting with CEOs, COOs, CIOs, different companies, tech companies, investment banks, fine. And, and there's a CEO of a company, I'm not going to name, but who I deeply respect for his creativity, his passion, his, his communication. And he was one of the ones bemoaning the fact. He said, I, you know, I go into the office five days a week. I'm like, okay, number one, do you, are you aware of the example you're setting? Mm-hmm. Now, he very much is because he wants everybody to come yeah, back into the office. Right. He wants everybody to want to come back into the office. He's not insisting. And we talked a lot about the difference between an aspiration and a mandate, I think is what we were talking about. An objective and a mandate, I think is how we said it. And, um, <clears throat> but he, he said he, he walked through one day and he had a bunch of young, you know, and he was very specific, like young inside sales people, like a call center. And there was great energy. And he was like, oh, this is great. And he asked, he was like, wouldn't you like to do this every day? And like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, why do you want to do that every day? Yeah, exactly. And he had yeah. a really hard time answering that question. He said, I don't know. I mean, the energy. I said, are you getting the outcomes that you want when they're not in the office? Like when they're, if they're in the office one day a week, two days a week, are you getting the outcomes you want, that you, the goals that you set up as a company? Yeah. Okay, so what are you trying to get to? This is so great, right? And he, like, and he, said, he said, well, I worry that they're not going to get the culture. And I said, but what culture is that? Sitting in a cube, like five yeah. days a week. What what is it you feel is missing? You've already I, I, you've already said I'm getting the outcomes I want. You've said in this case I'm hiring the talent I want. Yeah, I'm training them. They're they're as productive as they ever were. Mm-hmm. I said, so what do you think is missing? And he he really struggled to articulate other than to say it's not like it used to be. I, I think he told you in that moment when he said the energy, and he's not talking about, he's not talking about outcomes. He's talking about, I mean, if I were to, if I were to like, basically analyze that situation and not knowing this guy, I would say um, he's lonely. I think that was it. <laughs> he's lonely, and and there's and this is like a this is when you said about being curious. So so let me just say this: like part of the thing about. F- the, the rigidity and the brittleness that happens in organizations culturally is that they stop asking what, why they're doing what they're doing. They stop asking like, hey, I have this behavior. Is it really working for me anymore? Mm-hmm. Like what, am I, what, is, what is the outcome? What's a good outcome here? They stop asking that and they start actually unconsciously operating off of their feelings. 
So if you are somebody, and this is a psychological profile, if you are somebody who gets a certain amount of satisfaction from grinding, you just like to grind. You you like your you like to cycle, you like to like work out, you like to you like hard things, right? You're going to think everybody you're going to create a culture around that and you're going to grind and it, you're just going to create a culture of grinding that might have no actual connection to outcomes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the same thing goes if you're just an easygoing, like you just want to be easygoing all the time, you might create create a culture around that where you're just like Hey man, whatever, right? Whatever, and like that might create a problem for you. Yeah, I think um, I, I think it was interesting, and I think your insight about like he was he was actually lowly, and he was like nostalgic. That was kind of the that was the word I used. Was I think you're nostalgic for, you know, this is a guy who's a founder and built his company, and he's right. thinking about the way that he got there, and he's like, well, we have to keep doing it that way because that's the way that I know works. So, but ah, but let me back you up. Are you getting the outcomes you want, right? And I kind of walked him right. back, and then he's like, "Well, yeah." I said, "Okay, so you just discovered something new. You can get those same outcomes right. with different inputs." Right. So every every founder of a startup who builds their company from a thirty-person company to a three hundred-person company, they always bemoan, right? Oh, it was so much more fun when it was a thirty-person company, right? <laughs> it was all was just like really? all, yeah. yeah, exactly, and like. What they're bemoaning is not necessarily a cultural piece. They're like, "Oh, we had a different culture. It had a different feel." But no, you had some more, less people. Like you had, you had fewer people, and so like it was easier for you to to shout across the room and say, "What did you get on the?" Like you could do that kind of thing. And yeah, you can't do that with three hundred people. You also need a set of processes. You need a bunch of cultural norms that allow you to like basically make sure everybody knows what they're supposed to do. All that is like different, and it's change. It's really it's hard, right? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell I'll tell another story too about change, and this is because you asked me back, and I want to make sure I answer the question. You know, what do I do to create a culture of resilience within my organization? And I'll tell you, day one of my current gig, so CIO at IDEX, a large animal health diagnostics company, technology company, and like, but it doesn't matter. Like, this is for any of us, right? So, like, day one, your new job. And they, they said, okay, you need to stand up on stage. Maybe it was day two, but it was like, you need to stand up on stage and talk to your organization. So I, I'm the newest person here. I don't know anything. Right. I mean, I've got a set of experiences. I can't right. wait. Obviously, I did my research on the company, but I really don't know anybody or anything. But Okay. But it's what you do right. as a leader is you stand up on stage and you talk to folks. And, I, you know, people dialed in from all over. You know, we were, we were not as big then, but we were still were a few hundred people. And so I was like, all right, look, I don't know a lot. I don't even know where the bathrooms are yet in the office building. But I said, I know a couple of things. I said, one thing I know is that whatever you're working on today, hmm. three years from now, you're going to be working on something different. Right. One of the first things I said freaked my team out. Because I said, look, that's the pace of change. That is the pace. Uh, we're in a technology. Every company is a technology company. But that is the pace of change. Think about where we were. Think about what tools you were using, what apps were on your phone, what you did in your morning three years ago. God knows. That was pre-pandemic. Think three years before that. Yeah. Think three years before yeah. that. Now, now do the same thing going forward three years from now, three years after that. I said, whatever you're working on. You're gonna be working on something different. Okay, so how do you how do you build? So you said that to them. Yeah, they freaked out. Yeah, right. We did a little work with them. Yeah, on, you worked with on, me on that on culture change, and like how? So 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 bring this full circle into that concept of of resiliency. Now, how do they how do they look at that? So what we did was we said, look, okay. So if we accept that premise. And again, whatever organization you're in, whatever part of the organization you're in, I think you can accept that premise. Three years from now, you're going to be doing something different. Then there's two ways that's going to happen. It's either going to happen to you or it's going to happen because of you. Right. And right. if you can accept that premise of change, right. change is inevitable. Let's be the architects of change. So this is, this is what I was, when I was thinking of this title about culture and change, go on a date. Is like how do how do we how do we bring these two things together in a way where it's like there's something exciting that can happen. We we, we talk about disruption and it always it always feels like a little violent to me. It always feels like a little bit like 
kind of like, yeah, like we're going to disrupt things. But like, <laughs> but like, but like, what what about just like the fact that like intentional change? Yeah. Right. If I want to, if I want to exercise more, if I want to eat better, if I want to sleep better, if I want to have more friends, if I want to do more activities, like those are all culture changes. Those are all behavior changes that I have to do. And if I think about those changes as negative, right? that is the mind switch. That's the that is the Jedi mind trick right there. You just put it, which is 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 change in your culture and your organization. Is change seen as a bad thing? Yeah. Dude, put them together like they're going on a date. Like, let's see how we feel about this change. That's what I'm trying to get at, right? Yeah. Is like the change, the change is either going to come to you like this. Okay, so remote work, right? Yeah, We've talked right. about it a bunch of times. All these places are struggling with this concept. Like, do we go back to the office? Do we not go back to the office? Your own organization is like having like, you know, different parts of the organization see it different ways, right? But you have made a commitment to saying, well, well, tell me why, right? Tell me why. Because you have a lot of clarity about what is it that you're asking people to do and what is it about that thing you're asking people to do that has to be done in the office. Yeah, right? and there are times and roles where I think that absolutely, again, the value of face-to-face, just to use this example, uh, is absolutely worth investing in. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of times where it's it's an option. You know, if you if you want, sure, you can right. do that. You don't have to. You can do it that way. You can do it this way. Uh, and there's times where it just doesn't make any sense, right? right. Um, and I think, though, all of this is about, you know, the intentionality of that discussion and saying that we know that that's changed from the way we used to do it. And that's okay. You, but you have you have taken the culture that you had before. You had an office culture. I mean, you had some distributed people who worked globally, but you had an office culture. People went in the office before the pandemic. Yeah, by and large. Yeah. And then you took this change, and and it, and I watched you do it. You really kind of went, you know what? Like we could hire different people. We talked about this. You could yep. hire different people. You changed the way that you like. You, you were able to hire more women. Yep. Right. You were able to bring more women in the tech. Like all different that stuff was like different demographics like it's so it's you you embraced it you made friends with the change and you integrated it into what it is that you actually wanted to do <laughs> i think that's a good way to put it is you know when the pandemic happened i mean we all it was terrible for all of us for lots of reasons and it was scary oh god it was scary right. for all of us and you know we got through the first few weeks of white knuckled you know the right. world on fire right. but then at some point we had to look at it and go, okay, this this change has happened to us. Yes. So yes. what do we do about that? Yes. Well, we can somehow, I guess, sort of fight it, except nobody could. Right. Um, and Or we, we could try and endure it and wait wistfully for the time when we can go back to the way the world used to work. Or I present to you curtain number three, which is, all right, what if we leaned into this and made the best of it. And then as I shared, you know, previously, not only did we thrive within that because we all were in it together and we had a lot of different ways that we embraced it and, and, and found ways to stay connected, but we found that the data was showing us that we were getting better outcomes. Yes. And that, yes. that you know, and that just, it reinforces for me that, and actually the point of, and you know, this is one example yeah. and it's not the only example, but. But I really attribute it to we have an intentionally creating an organization that is resilient to change, that not only is resilient to change, but anticipates, welcomes, and yeah. finds the way to make the most of change. Ah, and so creates okay. opportunity. So this so this is where change becomes something in culture, become things that you're really looking at the the interaction between those two things towards some sort of outcome or purpose, I'll right? You, yeah, and I'll give you one one example, sort of a, a, a different example about how we create resilience in, in the culture and how we kind of really are open to this challenge, open, like how I tried to work with my organization to create some openness to this. So I do, I, I think I might have, I might have mentioned this before, but I do a monthly, once a month, uh, ask us anything, Q&A. So this is really, and it's anonymous too. Oh, oh man. Oh, anybody can ask anything they want of the senior leaders. And and my commitment is I will attempt to answer any question you ask. Right. And, oh, man, my organization, woo, they love to send me some doozies. 
And I mean, some tough questions, you know, during the pandemic, it was, what are we doing about hybrid work? How are we providing for, you know, uh, time off for people that are need to go get tested or like some real hard. And I would, you know, obviously I'd partner with my HR partners and, and my finance partners. Right. Uh, they'll ask me questions about, you know, benefits and, and I, you know, inflation. And, and then they'll ask me questions about like, you know, uh, what am I reading? Uh, they'll ask questions about like, you know, what are we going to do about that project? You know, so it really is anything, but it's this, this trust that goes along with it is that, and, and believe me, it's, it made my HR partner a little nervous sometimes, yeah, right. some of the questions I'd get. Um, but I said, no, my commitment is I'm going to try and answer everything. And I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give an appropriate answer, obviously. Um, you know, and a responsible answer and a, you know, readery answer, all those kind of things. Yeah. But, uh, but the trust that you can ask those questions. Okay. So, yes. So I love that example because you're inviting, you're inviting this, what in, in the theater world and in, in the improv world, we call it like the, the willingness to be altered, you know, the willingness yeah, to be exactly. altered by the other people around you. And, Cause it's very hard. Like we want to protect by the way. So culture and change, right? Typically we try to, I find organizations try to build an organizational culture and organizational systems that can resist change. Like we don't want to be changed. We got we have to be so powerful that the the markets have to change for us. And you see this a lot of times in, you know, people get like they get so big that they're like, "No, no, no, we're going to we're going to resist this movement. We're going to resist." And sometimes that they're right, but sometimes it's it's not good, right? It's mm-hmm. not it's not a good thing. All those companies that resisted technology, all those companies yeah. that resisted, yeah. of you know, examples. the um, so and all that stuff. Like so that's that's important. The question then is like to your point about resilience is can we be intentional? Can we invite that change in? Can we be clear about inviting that change in in a way that allows us to be better? Well, I think one of the the one of the most effective answers I give during that Q&A that helps with the resilience is when I say, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Love that. Right? You know, Love that. Because right? like, I don't know allows for lots of space. Right? It's like, I don't know. Does anybody else know? Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and it invites the organization, either one of my other leaders, somebody in the organization, yeah. maybe the person that asked the question. I don't know. But I'll, I'll, I don't know. Why don't we do that thing? Have we thought about that? I don't know. And I mean, you won't be surprised. You know me a long time. You won't be surprised to know how often I say I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, it, I, I do see a lot of organizations where well, that I actually, think that actually wait that that is part of the resiliency. Yeah. When the leader of the organization says I don't know, you create a lot of space and a lot of willingness for the group to feel like, oh, that's actually if he can say I don't know, if he's okay being that vulnerable, I, I think then that, I should be okay. I think there are a lot of leaders that are afraid. To say I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of leaders that are, are think that as a the role of the leader is to know, and to guide and right. to provide the answers and the direction. And I'm not saying that's wrong, by the way. I think that you know that is a lot of my role. But I think I also have to know my own limits, right. and to know that I can't possibly know all the answers. Um, and it would be awfully arrogant for me to think that I do. And okay, so just. Just to tie this in, though, to the subversive leadership thing you just said, right? Yeah. Like, to say I don't know, to say that it would be arrogant for me not to, that, that is both that point about being a subversive leader. That is how you affect culture change around the organization. If the leader at your level says, I don't know about a thing that, like, he, whether it's not something you should necessarily should know about, but the willingness to do that changes the way the organization thinks about things. And... The willingness to take the actual like ego out of it. Yes, back right? to our first series, first season. Really taking the ego out of this, I think, is this is kind of how you, I think, you subversively create yes. a culture right. that is resilient, is by demonstrating that you don't expect the organization to have all the answers to you don't expect perfection you accept you expect pursuit of an outcome and this is this is the resilient message that Love just it. and by the way i don't think this is not a one and done this is something you've got to really live every day Absolutely. with your organization yeah. and be willing to get the feedback and, and talk about change and talk about like hey we're going to we're going to be the architects of change we're going to we're going to change ourselves 
we're gonna, and this is this is a big piece. We're gonna change ourselves before we can change anybody else. Before we can change any other part of the organization yeah. or our customer, yeah. we have to be willing to change ourselves, right? Because so. if you're if you're gonna try and change your customer behavior, and your customer could be internal, external, whatever, yeah. how the heck are you going to do that if you're still doing what you did yesterday? I love I love hearing you talk about that. That is such a that is such an insightful. And again, subversive way of thinking about that relationship with the customer. You know, the relationship that sometimes, I mean, for IT especially, can sometimes be a little bit one or two steps removed, but like very, very helpful, right? If you can take that in that, how how are we embracing change? How are we changing? That you can really affect all the rest of the organization to say like, we can't ask layers across the organization to change their behaviors if we're not willing to be altered. Oh, I, you know, I mean, there's just so many examples. If you're if you're dealing with, you know, I don't know, persistent customer service issues, again, internal, external, whatever. And, it, you know, I mean, you could, I guess you could say, well, it's the customer's fault for breaking stuff and calling us. So I'm like, right. no, that's right. an illogical conclusion. Something is broken with what we're doing, either our product or service, the way we're delivering it. If we want to see systemic change and improvement and improving that customer outcome, that experience, we've got to first look at ourselves and examine what we are doing. So good. So to come right? to go, yeah, so good. So to come back to that insecurity, you know, the manager who's not sure if people are actually doing any work. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that is that ego. That is the ego, like, I feel insecure. Or the, or the CEO who's like, I want everyone to come in the office because I want to feel like work is being, I want to feel energetic. I want to feel energized. And to be able to go back and just be like, okay, like, let's get curious about what actually matters here. Let's get curious about what are they, what are people's experiences of these things are. Let's get curious about how do we actually affect change and why are we doing this change? Like, with the, the more curious we are mm. about all that stuff, the more resilient we get to be, the more altered, you know, the more growth we get to, we get to have, and the more impactful, the more intentional and impactful we get to be about building that culture that can handle any kind of disruption out there. Yeah, that's, that's that can, and pivot into, like I said, and actually create some, you know, positive aspects of that disruption. I mean, we're yeah. always identifying the positive opportunities in that disruption. It really is, it is one of the most subversive things, I guess, that we've talked about so far is this, this willingness to examine your own culture first. Yes, yes, to, to, to examine your own culture, to be more self-aware, like your point about like, um, even just like the vulnerability of saying like, I don't know, for a leader could create this opening. Well, that was, I mean, right. back to my, back to my opening statement with my own organization where I said, I don't know what, you know, I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but you're going to be doing, which is, a, I actually right. skipped that part, but I actually started with that. I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but I know you're going to be doing something different three years from now. That's so bold too, because like you just, I mean, for many of them, right, you just basically told them that their world is, you know, someone's going to move their cheese. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it scared the team. And, but it's something I actually repeat on a reg, on the regular yep. is to say, I, I, I still think three years from now, our work will look different. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. Isn't, Isn't that, that great? great? Isn't that exciting? Right. Isn't right. that exciting? Think of if you were doing the same thing every day for the next three years. Yeah. Wouldn't that be dull? Yeah. <laughs> so it really is just kind of a way of reframing it so that you can embrace it and so that you can be the architect of it yeah. that I think is so exciting and fun. I think it's true. So culture and change, go on a date. Culture and change, go on a date. And what you get is you get this great, you know, you get this opportunity, right? Opportunity yeah. for growth, opportunity for an organization where people feel seen and heard. Right? Well, I know it, this, it's a lot of fun because I, I do think and, and talk a lot about this. and know you do as well. And as you touched on, you, you've helped my organization and, and my team and me go through some of this over the time. Uh, but I think next week, we're actually going to flip it a little bit. So we've been talking about our own, what we can do within our own organizations mm -hmm. where we're leaders and we're helping to shape the culture and, 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 and pieces. And, but I wanted to actually revisit or come back to maybe a little something that we started the first season with, where I, talk, I told a story about, my, I, I framed him as my arch nemesis at work. Right. And... Right. Like actually, we got a lot of good feedback on that. Actually, it was really great. But And I wanted to revisit that a little bit because 
I think um, what ended up is that that actually that that competition that conflict actually created a lot of opportunity and it actually created a lot of so fun yeah. within right. uh, like once I got past the fact that like no he's not actually my arch nemesis we actually need like we're gonna make each other successful right and we once we figured that out this rivalry is can be fun <sighs> so peace. true. Uh, and actually, how do you do this healthy competition within the culture? Because I know that that's actually a big part of a lot of organizations' culture is this, this sense of, quote, unquote, healthy competition. And I'm right. like, well, what is that really? Right. And when is it healthy and when is it unhealthy? And I wanted to spend a little time on that with you, talking about, like, what is, what's a healthy rivalry and what's an unhealthy kind of internal uh, competition? So good. It's so um, good. I'm looking forward to that conversation. And I love the idea of rivalry and conflict and and having the competition and the growth that can come from that, like when you learn how to work with each other. Because you know this about me, but maybe not our listeners, but I'm, I'm actually an intensely competitive person yeah. on a lot of fronts. Yeah. But it's but yeah, this gets to the culture. This will build on our conversation about culture. There's a way to do that. That's a healthy way to do that. That's kind of a constructive way versus a, a toxic. A collaborative way. I would collaborative say collaborative way. Competitive and collaborative. Yeah, That's great. Absolutely. All right, Seth, as always, it's a pleasure. It's such a pleasure, Ken. I love having these conversations with you. Um, just a reminder again about uh, the book is coming out. My book is coming out yes. this year. Into finally. the Wolf. Into the Wolf. And uh, a lot of the stories are about some of the things that we're talking about, CIOs and and CEOs and people who are struggling really to um, how to let their ego, put their ego aside and how to actually like open up to the possibility that like what am I hearing what's happening what am, how am I being asked to change and that concept of like what does it take what does it take to actually change your behaviors fantastic I can't wait I've read the drafts yes. I look forward to publication uh, as always thanks everybody for listening we look forward to speaking Can, in next week if people want to find out more about this podcast where, where, where would uh, they go uh, thank you www.itsnotpersonal.net uh, it's also available of course on all your favorite podcast platforms I'm a big Spotify fan I think you're an Apple fan there's plenty out there but we yeah. uh, wherever you go to get your content you can find us it's not personal yeah. thanks very much Ken yeah.